tonight. <clears throat> I know we'll get to this passage probably one of these days in the morning, but um, I wanted to look to, I, felt, I should say, I believe the Lord led us, led me tonight, or for tonight, to prepare a message on issues of life. We're still looking at some of the issues of life because that's what the Bible deals with. That's why God gave it. God knows all about us. I was reading recently too, um, Psalm 139, where David said to the Lord, the Lord knows everything. He knows my downstate. He knows my uprising. He knows every word in my tongue. He knows my thoughts. He knows everything about me, David said. And uh, God has poured that wisdom into his word. And so it shouldn't surprise us. It's no wonder that every issue of life, we can find something about it in the word of God. <clears throat> so Luke chapter 4 tonight. And um, we're going to read a few verses. Starting in verse 1. Luke 4, starting verse 1, says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan, that is, from his being baptized, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus answered, said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And the devil had ended all the temptation. He departed from him for a season. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region around about. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the word of God this night, and thank you for the truth of it. Father, just now, even now, reading this passage out loud, I was just struck by where Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So in order to live by the word, we have to know the word. And so we pray that we increase our knowledge and understanding of the word of God in this night. I pray for the help of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray not only for here, but again throughout this country and around the world, for thy servants are opening God's word. Honor thy precious word and use it to accomplish great things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one thing I can say with absolute assurance is every one of us, everyone, every one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, every one of us, you get the picture, every one of us faces temptation 
Every day. Every day. And I don't ever want to make light of it, but um, sometimes temptations are very simple and very subtle. Like the temptation to roll over to go back to sleep when it's time to get up and come to church or whatever. Um, from the desire, the temptation to steal, to lie, to cheat, to be, to commit immorality, to all kinds of things, all kinds of temptation. In fact, the Bible tells us about sins. It has a, there's lists of them, and uh, we're tempted. Um, obviously, we're, and we're going to come back. We're not going to start in this passage. We're going to come back to it. Obviously, this was a very unique temptation. We'll come back to that. But there are some principles we'll draw from this. Um, but before we get to the scriptures, in fact, you could be turning to 1 John chapter 2, so you'll be ready when we go to that scripture. Um, 1 John chapter 2. Um, the word temptation, you probably know this already, some might not be as up to date on these things, but the, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word that's translated temptation, it's translated that quite a few times, has two basic meanings, two, two main meanings. One is the enticement to sin. That's what the devil was trying to do to Jesus here in Luke 4. The second is to try or test with regard to genuineness, degree, strength, and so on of our faith. Okay. The devil tried to do that with Job. He tried to get him to deny his faith, to deny God. Right. So those both are those are both aspects. And sometimes the devil is involved in the second part, trying our faith. More often it's God who tries our faith. He may use the devil, he may use other things, but it is usually the Lord who tries our faith. Um, example of that is in, back in, in the book of Genesis where the Bible says God did tempt Abraham. That is, God tested his faith. God wasn't trying to get Abraham to sin. The Bible says God never tempts anybody. Never tries to entice us to sin, but he tested his faith. Do you fear me? Do you love me more than your son Isaac? Or do you have confidence in my plan to, to, to offer him as a sacrifice? And so, but having said that, tonight our, our focus will be on the aspect of enticing to sin. And let me remind all of us, remind us that sin has two basic aspects. There is the sin of doing what God says not to do. That's doing wrong. And there is the sin of not doing what God tells us to do. That's a failure to do right. James 4.17 tells us that. Therefore, him that knoweth to do good, doeth it not, to him it is sin. And I would guess or that for most Christians, especially mature Christians who are strong in the faith, that the most, the most uh, often frequent temptation for us is to not do what we're supposed to do. But either way, well, we can also be tempted. Um, I remember at the ordination yesterday for Josiah, there were questions about morality given to him. I was so glad for that. They said to him, what safeguards do you have in place to protect you from temptation. And so, and he mentioned some of the guards. Say, for example, if a woman comes, one of the guys asked the question, if you're in your ministry, you're in a youth ministry, teenage girl comes in and says, I really need to talk to you. What are you going to say? 
He's going to say, Josiah said, I'm going to say, I'll come, I'll get my wife, and then we'll talk together. And we, we said, that's exactly right. Don't ever back down from that. And so, um, so there's, and so by the way, um, probably the oldest pastor there, I don't have to mention his name, but the oldest guy there said, you know, none of us are immune to falling into temptation, to falling into sin. So, those are the safeguards. Now, so in 1 John chapter 2, um, we all face temptation, and so we need to be prepared for that. The Bible says we need to be, uh, we need to be alert, we need to be on guard, we need to be sober, we need to be vigilant. And here in 1 John chapter 2, very familiar passage scripture, we probably looked at this a few months ago um, as part of another message, um, but there are three things that the devil uses, the three things that he has actually he's orchestrated one of them, um, and he uses these things to try to get us to sin, right? First John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Right? So right there, before you even go any further, there's a temptation right there. Right? God's word says, don't love the world. Great temptation it is to love the world. Um, and I would say again that uh, in America, there's other countries too, but in America, we, there's areas of temptation that other countries never face. Christians in other countries. Christians in Liberia, unless they've had a taste of American life, aren't, aren't, aren't affected by that because they have nothing. So, it varies from place to place, but love not the world. That's God's command. Love not the world. Again, as we mentioned this morning, the wording of there, there is this. Stop loving the world. Right? That's the idea. It's a command. Neither the things, the world here means the age, the system that we're in. Neither the things that are in the world. All right? And that's the word, that, that word love there is love that's reserved for God alone or for our fellow believers. Right? It's not love me. God isn't saying love me more than you love the world. No, he's saying don't love the world at all. Don't love the things in the world. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7, those that use the world, not abusing it. And I think you understand what that means. There's certain things that we need, and so but we need to be careful not to love the things in the world. So here we are. Here's, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And that means a couple of things. The most obvious is this. We can't love the world and love God at the same time. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. It's either God or the world. Now, here are, here are the three things. For all that is in the world, there is everything, all the things out there that tempt us can be, can be broken down or, or listed in three categories. Number one, the lust of the flesh. Alright, the lusts of the flesh are the desires of the body. Needed or desired or both. So the temptation, one of the temptations of the flesh is to go after things that we know are bad for us. Alright, um, I'm, I'm just, again, I'm not picking on anybody, I'm just throwing this out. Some, I know that some of you suffer with sugar, with diabetes. I don't know if it's... And, and so, you're supposed to avoid certain things, right? S-U-G-A-R, okay? And oh, well, one piece won't hurt, 
two, you know, that's how that's the tempter. That's the tempter. Um, and the, yes, the devil does work in those ways because <clears throat> the Bible says our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So we're, we're supposed to care for our temple. Right? Anyway, there's so um, again, it's the things that the body would desire. Okay, number two, the lust of the eyes. That's things that we see that provoke desire for them. Number three, the pride of life. Is a desire to be popular, powerful, successful, liked, admired. Well, that's our thing. That's a big one. That's a huge one in this country. Fulfillment, it's, it's expressed in a lot of ways. I might want to find my identity. I want to see fulfillment. I want to do you know, this, this, that, and the other thing. Um, as a believer... Our identity is Christ. Paul said, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Our purpose is to serve the Lord. Our fulfillment is living a life pleasing to God. And, and Lord, God, Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, His righteousness, all these things, and the other things will be added um, unto you. All right? So the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Right? And notice that it says they're of the world, not, they're not a father. They're not of God. They're not pleasing to God. They're not things that God has provided for us. They're things the devil has orchestrated. They're things he uses. Right? Um, so notice the outcome. Notice verse 17. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. Because all that's going to be gone. Gone. It has no eternal value for the believer... For the unbeliever, there's eternal damnation. And it is the things of the world that keep the unbeliever many times. Now, Satan seeks to blind their eyes, blind their minds, keep them away you know, from the Word of God. Um, all these things, well, that's going to be gone one day. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So there's an eternal abiding, there's an eternal benefit, there's eternal blessing, eternal reward, an eternal fruit for doing um, the will of God. So there's three aspects of temptation. And then in, the, in James chapter 1, let's go there, there is a progression. Um, and there is, there is a progression in this whole thing of temptation. And in James chapter 1, in verse 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. This is, this is the more of a trial aspect, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. A special reward. Alright, then, verse 13, notice the perspective. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. In other words, God's tempting me. God's trying to get me to sin. And here, I talked to a fellow in prison years ago, and I don't know where he is now, I don't know if he's alive, anyway um, he had heroin problems, he was addicted to heroin, he said that's God's fault God put that in front of me God made the stuff you know, and I said, I was actually talking about one time God created everything, he said that's my problem, but God created the stuff that heroin's made of so he's kind of saying you know, God is the one that got him hooked, and of course it was, he was just 
like a lot of the inmates just blowing off steam, just trying to act smart and tough and all that. But, but anyway, um, you'd be surprised how many people you know, think that way. Man and the devil together have, have invented things, concocted things. The Proverbs talks about witty, witty inventions, and a lot of times they're not good. So we can't say that. We can't say we're tempted by God or of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God doesn't try to get us to sin. But, here it is. Every man is tempted. When he is drawn away with his own lust and enticed. So our own desires, our own nature, um, is what brings temptation or what causes us to be tempted. So there's the, there's the, first, there's the first step you want to call it. The first step downward is the enticement. Alright? There's the lure. Um, not, you know, lures. Like, you know, if, when you, if you fish, you try to fool the fish and the thing gets a good piece of food there and, but the, the, and so they don't see the hook, hopefully, but then they get caught. So, there the devil tries to allure. He said he puts the lure out there. And the way he does it, a lot of times, is by telling us, telling us that this is good. And um, the other night, we were looking through, like, old commercials. I don't know why we did that, but it's kind of interesting to look at the old commercials. Of course, they're advertising cigarettes, and, and there was one commercial. Uh, I forget what they were what they were advertising this for, but they were actually advertising heroin in a bottle. And it was good for this, this, and this. It used to be legal. And they were, they were advertising cocaine. And they had, these were all commercials that were in magazines and TV, you know, 40 or 50 years ago. And of course, advertising all kinds of alcohol and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, advertising things to make the ladies look sexy and the men to look handsome. And, you know, all that, you become irresistible and all that sort of thing. Well, what's that doing? That's just putting temptation out there. Things that God says are bad and dangerous and harmful, the world says, the devil says they're good. All right? And so, but they're not. They're not. Right? So, there comes, the, there's the lure. All right? Then notice what it says in verse 15. Then lust, when it, when, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. So the lure plays upon the mind and heart. Yes, I need that, I want that, I'm being deprived of that. You know, just like the devil said to Eve, God's being stingy. He doesn't want you to eat that fruit because he knows it's going to help you and you're going to be like him and all that kind of thing. Well, that's exactly what the world does. That's exactly what... And then when it happens, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. So it brings forth the act or the word or whatever. So then it becomes the sinful act. And sin, when it is finished, in other words, when, it, when it's gone to its conclusion, brings forth death. Right? The wages of sin is death. We were looking at our, for some reason, we had, Leah was there over this afternoon looking at pictures in our yearbook, and uh, my husband's yearbook, and I had, with the seniors, I've written things, little notes beside some of the pictures, and you know, this one passed away, this one passed away, this one passed away. And more, uh, I was thinking about all of my classmates that passed away with cancer. Right? And uh, most of them smoked. 
very, very heavily, or drank, or did drugs, or did all of the above. Um, I don't know too many of my classmates who died that way who didn't have some kind of a habit. And, and so, you know, when we think about the scripture, when it says the wages of sin is death, we, we first of all, probably, we think of spiritual death, and that's true. But the wages of sin is also physical death. You know, we die because of sin. Yes, spiritual death entered the world first, but that sin of Adam and Eve also led to their physical death and our physical death. And in the book of Romans, it talks about the error that people do. It's talking about the, the immorality. It talks in Romans about you know men with men, women with women, the homosexual thing. And it says, receiving in themselves that recompense, in other words, the payback for their error that was meat. So, and so sin, when it's finished, in other words, if a person indulges in sin long enough, it'll kill them. Plain and simple. Um, I wrote this one time. I think I heard a preacher say it. About sin. Think about this. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And that's true. It's all because it's all light. It's all you know, decorated up and made to look so good. But it's not done end good. It's not at all. So, there's the progression. Right? So that's why the Bible tells us to be sober, be vigilant, keep thy heart. This is where this, this series of messages all spread out of that verse in Proverbs. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. All right. Now, let's take a look um, let's go back to Luke, the passage that we read at the beginning. We're going to take a look at a prescription against temptation. All right? See how the Lord Jesus dealt with temptation. And really, when we see the response of Christ to the temptations, it really is it's precious and it's very important because... Here is the Son of God, God in the flesh. He had all kinds of resources at His disposal. And yet He picked a particular way to defeat the temptation of death. And that's a tremendous lesson for us. I want you to notice something about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in the book of Luke, um, Jesus was baptized in chapter 3, just like in Matthew chapter 3. Now the difference is, in Luke chapter 3, it goes into the genealogy. In Matthew, it goes right from the baptism to the temptation. So Luke is adding details here, not to the lifeline of the Lord Jesus, but details here about his genealogy. Now the one in Matthew is right at the beginning. We read that this morning. And that there's that just the way the Lord, the Holy Spirit, led the men to write. But... But if we take it like it is in Matthew, basically the Lord went right from being baptized almost immediately into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So we would say that, obviously, the baptism of Christ was a highlight in his life. Um, because he came up out of the water, the heaven opened, they saw the Spirit descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, 
in whom I'm well pleased. It was a, it was a wonderful event in the life of the Lord Jesus. All right? Then came the temptation. Now, I want you to think about the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon Jesus. All right? Because chapter 4 of Luke starts off this way, and Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost. The Lord Jesus being completely under the control of the Holy Spirit of God returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Alright, so, obviously, Jesus Christ was never out of the will of God. He was always walking according to the Spirit of God. And so this was not something that Jesus did wrong. This was not a wrong turn that he took. This was not him being the victim of circumstances. This was him being led by the Lord, led by the Holy Spirit in the wilderness, being 40 days tempted the devil. So the Bible says 40 days he was under the temptation. Now we see three of them here, but there must have been more than that. Okay? So, I, say, I said that to say this. You know, Jesus told his disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation. In other words, don't let us get into a position to sin, but deliver us from evil. But I tell you this, the Bible tells us in, in Ephesians to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. If we're going to live in this world, if we're going to live for the Lord, God is going to lead us into battle against the forces of hell. We're going to fight the devil. We're going to fight the world. We're, you know, we, we're on the offensive according to the word of God. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell, referring to the forces of evil, shall not prevail against it. Now in the Bible, when, in, in, when a city is under attack and they have no other, they, they have no other alternative, they feel like there's no way we can beat. This like when Jerusalem was under attack by Babylon. They came in the city. They locked all the gates. They said, look, there's nothing else we can do. All, we just have to hope we can wait it out. Right? So that's how it's pictured. But for the church, we are pictured not behind the wall with the gates locked. We are pictured on the offensive going out there, going after the prize after the will of God, the work of God, and in doing so, we're going to encounter attacks by the devil. That's why the armor is almost all defensive, except for the sword. We have the most powerful weapon in the world. We have the word of God, the sword of the spirit. So, having said that, Jesus is in the wilderness. Forty days tempted the devil. Those days he did eat nothing. This is all part of the plan. God's leading him. Forty days, no food. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. He was probably, you know, he was famished, starving after forty days. I can't imagine what it would be like to go that long without food. So, and God allowed that. <clears throat> and I believe God directed that because he allowed and directed for his son to be at the weakest point physically when the devil came after him. Right? Now, he can't say that he would do the same for us, but he did it for, to his son 
to prove that, as Corinthians says, the weakness of God is stronger than men, it's stronger than the devil. So he was hungry, so you know the temptation. The devil said to him, came to him, if thou be the Son of God. Here's the challenge. If you're really the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. That corresponds to the lust of the flesh. So this, for Jesus to be hungry is not a sin. It's not a sin to be hungry. It's a, it's a basic need that we have. Jesus certainly had the power. I mean, he could have fed himself every day for 40 days, but he didn't because he submitted to the will of God. And so here's what Jesus said. Jesus answered him saying, by my power, I tell you, notice how he said, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And so for the, you know this, for, for Jesus Christ to have done this, turned the stone to bread, he would, have, he would have been following the devil instead of God. But something else here is this, that he, the devil tempted Christ to use his power for his own benefit. And you'll find out, if you read carefully, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus Christ never, ever used his divine power, his position as the Son of God for his own benefit. Never. It was always to do the will of God and to benefit others. But notice those three words, it is written. In other words, God's word says. That's our, that's our sword of the spirit. That is our defense against temptation. Sometimes the Bible says we need to flee. Sometimes we can't flee. Jesus couldn't flee. God didn't want him to flee. God wanted him to stand. So that when we can't flee, the Bible says resist. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So he answered the temptation. When temptation comes, we need to go to the word of God. Secondly, and the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I don't know how that happened. I don't, we don't know how the devil did that. But we, I do know this, the devil has power. He has a lot of power. He, I mean, he has more power than all of us here tonight. That's nothing. I mean, he has more power than all the hundred many billion people in the world together. All of us together couldn't whoop up on the devil. All right? He's powerful. Of course, God is all powerful. But he was able to do this somehow. He took Jesus, and the Lord allowed the devil to take him up there. And so he showed unto him the whole realm, all the kingdoms of the world. Now whether that's referring to the kingdoms of that day or all the kingdoms for all time, it really doesn't, it's really not that important. But the idea is he showed him everything. And this is what he said. The devil said unto him, all this power, in other words, all this authority, I'll give you it all, will I give thee and the glory of them for that is delivered unto me. And whomsoever I will, I give it. Now, was the devil telling the truth? That's a question that's debatable. The Bible calls him the God of this world. 
And the word world is the word for the age in both places. So, yeah, the devil can do that as God allows him. And he said, verse 7, If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. The devil said, I'll give it to you. I'll give it all to you. Worship me. Now, underneath that, certainly, is the fact that the devil knew why Jesus came into the world. The devil knew all about the promise of the seed of the woman that would bruise the serpent's head. He knew all about that. The devil knew about the cross. He knew that was the destiny of Christ. And so there's many times that they're written, and probably more that aren't written, where the devil, by different means, tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross. Here's one of them. Here, this is really the underlying thing behind this whole thing, or the, the underlying of part of the temptation is this. Jesus, if you're the Son of God, do this, worship me, and avoid the cross. You can have it all without going to the cross. Now, we know that Jesus is going to have it all, but God's plan goes to the cross first. They'll say, oh, no, you, you can skip all that. You can have it now. Jesus answered and said in verse 8, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written. This is what the Bible says. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So he defeated that one. He defeated the first one. He defeated the second one. It's written. It's written. It's written. It's written. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. You may have done this. I've had people over the years say to me, I don't want the, I don't want the Bible. I want your opinion. They'll come to me. I need help with this. I said, so I'm sorry. My opinion is everything in the Bible is true. So you're going to get the Bible. That's all you're going to get. You know? And that's just, So we have, to, we have to stand upon that. In this day and age, don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed of the attacks in our country, the media, and all over the place, the attacks against the Bible. All right? It's not just an old book of fairy tales. It's the Holy Word of God, inspired, infallible, inerrant, eternal Word of God. All right? So, number three, number verse nine, he brought him to Jerusalem. And set him on a pinnacle of the temple, a high point on the roof of the temple. And said to him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. In other words, basically, jump off. Just do it. For it is written. Does that, does that say a lot? That the devil can quote scripture? Folks, that's why we better know the book. Because the devil knows it. And I'm ashamed to say this. I'm afraid he knows it better than I do. And I've made it my life to know this book. He knows it better than you do. He knows it in the wrong way. <laughs> he knows it to twist it. He knows it to manipulate it like the cults do. Why do you think the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons and all these people use the Bible? Because the devil leads them to do that, to deceive, not to help, but to, to lie and to distort the truth of God's word. It started way back in the first century. Uh, Peter wrote about those who twist or those who rest 
the scriptures. You try to make it say what it, what it doesn't say. And that's what the devil's doing here. Alright? For it is written, he shall... Here's, he, this is what the devil said, because this, listen, the word of God, it's written, he, that's God, shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. So he quoted that scripture. He left out the next verse that talks about treading on the dragon. Of course, he wouldn't say that part. Jesus, verse 12, answered, said to him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. <coughs> now, for Jesus to jump off the temple would tempt God. For us to do foolish things tempt God. The Bible says, Don't tempt the Lord. Again, by the way, all three of these verses that Jesus quoted are from the book of Deuteronomy. Isn't it, it's interesting, one of the books under attack today, among probably more than any other, is the book of Deuteronomy. Right? Because Jesus quoted from it. Now, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Don't put God to the test. In other words, it's kind of like the idea, humanly speaking, don't make God make a decision. Jesus jumps off the temple. God in heaven is like, do I save my son or do I, let him, do I let him hit the ground and die? We're not supposed to put God in that position. So, we could say a lot more about that, but I think you, you have the idea of the principle. We should not take unnecessary risks. We should not do foolish things. We should not be careless in our life. Um, that sort of thing. Well, notice that it says this. Verse 13, when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. In other words, till another, till an opportune time. Okay. And you'll find out as you read through that many times the devil used people to try to get at the Lord in different ways. Right? By finding fault, by criticizing, by all these kinds of things. But anyway, he defeated the, he defeated the devil, he ended the temptation. Matthew adds one thing, and that is that angels came and ministered unto him. So, they brought him a stick in, I don't know what they did, but they, they met his need. Right? Again, Jesus didn't use his own power. God sent angels to minister him. Now we have verse 14. Now, and Jesus returned, here's the result of victory or temptation. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and they went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. So he began to work. Now there is a there is a um, dispensational theological aspect to all these things. Right? Jesus said, "I must be baptized because it's part of God's plan to fulfill all righteousness." He had to be tempted because the first Adam was tempted. The second Adam had to be tempted. And his baptism and his the victory or temptation set him apart, provided the impetus, if you will, for him to begin his earthly ministry, and he did. Alright. Well. Three things in closing, bring us all together. Number one, we need to realize that temptation will come, most likely every day. So the temptation is to lock ourselves away, you know, so we don't have to face temptation. That's a temptation in itself. Being tempted is not sin in and of itself. 
Sin enters when we yield to the temptation. Number three, we need to resist, as Peter put it, steadfast in the faith by the grace of God, but holding to the Word of God. And by the way, if there's a particular temptation that we face, something we have trouble with, one of, the, one of the keys to overcoming is to, is to find verses that deal with that particular sin and fill our minds and our hearts. So Lord, God, Lord bless God, help us to be faithful, to be strong, to stand true, and to resist temptation. Father in heaven, thank you for the time we can have tonight, especially in thy word, looking into this area. And Father, we know that we, we will be tempted. We're thankful as John said, that we can overcome because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We praise you for that. Help us, O Lord, youngest to oldest, help us to resist temptation by the grace of God and through faithfulness to the Word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's take a hymn book. Turn to number 364. 364. Yield not to temptation. 364. Alright, let's stand up, shall we? 364. And we'll sing all three verses. So, yield not to temptation.